So what if they gave a resurrection and nobody came? If you've been with this community of faith for a long time, you remember our Easter musicals. And one of those moments in an Easter musical I've shared before, but it is just etched into my mind. It's not very spiritual, but I love it. And it's one of those things when you tell the story, you still laugh as much as you did when you watched it. So this, this platform was filled with townspeople and disciples and bad people, and, and Jesus was hanging on the cross. It's one of those really solemn moments. And... The choir singing, Behold the man, behold the man slain from the foundation of the world. And it's just ripping you up inside as you're watching this. And so the disciples get up and they take Jesus off the cross and they bring him down and they place him with his mother. And there, there's this moving part. The mother is just weeping over her son who has died and she's stroking his face and it's just tearing you up inside. And then the time comes the disciples pick up Jesus and they carry him up to the tomb and they place him in the tomb and these muscular fishermen then roll the rock into place. Now behind the scenes, which most people didn't know about, was that in that cave, in that tomb, our actor who played Jesus would go back there, they'd flip on a little red light so it would glow enough that he could see what he was doing but you couldn't see the light through any of the set. And back there, he would be taking off his death makeup and he would be taking off his death clothing and putting on his resurrection garment. And then in a few moments, the rock would roll back and he'd walk out and we'd all celebrate. And it's just a, a really moving time. Our stagehand recognized the fact that there was something wrong. See, that stone, the way that it would roll back out of the way is that it hooked to that stone was a thin filament wire that you could not see. And he would pull on that and the stone would roll because it was in a track and it would roll out of the way and the light would come on and Jesus would come out and we'd all applaud and worship and it was, it's a great thing. Well, when they rolled the stone in place, it came off track. Jesus would have been stuck in there. So the stagehand is trying to get that to, to, to be remedied while things are happening out here and suddenly the stone moves. Only it doesn't roll, it falls flat out, just boom. At that moment, the people that are seated in the front can see Jesus. He doesn't have off his grave clothes yet. He's halfway there and doesn't have his, his resurrection clothes on yet. He's just halfway there and he's not coming out. So they watch Jesus run to the back of the cave. And there he hides. <laughs> the tech crew at that moment is probably, well, it was an emergency. It's kind of like the Apollo 13 ground crew trying to figure out how to save the moment. And so here they are. They're panicked. They don't know what to do. And finally, two of the young servant girls take matters into their own hands. They walk up to this rock that took these massive men to move, and they just go, poof and go sit back down. And we act like nothing happened. Soon the rock rolls out, light comes on, Jesus walks out, we go, hey! That was it. 
What if God would have thrown a resurrection and Jesus would have said, I haven't changed yet. Not coming out. We know what really happened. John, a follower of Jesus, who visited the tomb, wrote these words in John 20. So Peter and the other disciple, which was John, started for the tomb and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John and Peter get to the tomb. They look inside, and there they see the death clothes. So they understand that Jesus is not there. The death clothes are there in the tomb. Jesus is now wearing his resurrection garments. They know that he must be about doing what you do when your kingdom has just invaded the earth. And the first thing that Jesus is going to do is go find those who believed in them, believed in him, and give them evidence of the resurrection. The second thing he's going to do is show them how to share the evidence of the resurrection. Bishop N.T. Wright says it this way, I know that God's new world of justice and joy, of hope for the whole earth, was launched when Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter morning. And I know that he calls his followers to live in him and by the power of his spirit, and so to be new creation people here and now, bringing signs and symbols of the kingdom to birth on earth as in heaven. The resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit mean that we are called to bring real and effective signs of God's renewed creation to birth, even in the midst of the present age. So now we are 2,000 years removed. And if the masses didn't believe the eyewitnesses, how in the world will people believe in the year 2013 that Jesus is alive? There's simply only one way, and it's this, that believers in Jesus are the planned evidence of the resurrection, and there is no plan B. Not that we're capable of arguing anybody into believing, but Jesus has a way. Paul the Apostle helps us understand that when he wrote to the church in Rome, and here's what he said. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul was writing to a bunch of people, and some of them were believing that it is God's grace that forgives. How many of you have asked for forgiveness from God and received it? Okay, that's his mercy and that's his grace. So they had this belief that the more grace you get, the better off you are. So if you want more grace, just sin more. That was the, the reasoning. I'll sin more, I'll get more grace. And so Paul says, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means we die to sin. How can we live it any longer? He's saying, that is, the most, that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard. You're crazy people. He says, so let me explain this to you. 
the moment you put your faith in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, that he is Lord over everything created. The moment you do that, somehow God has made it so that you died with Jesus. That the nastiness of your life is still in that tomb. Think of the most horrific things you've done, the things that bring you the most shame. Now share them with the person next to you. No. Don't. When you put your faith in Jesus, those shameful things were put on him on those grave clothes. And Jesus left them in the tomb. They were there. And he rose in a resurrection clothing. And so the intent is this, Paul says, that when you take those shameful things and by faith believe that Jesus cares enough for you that he actually died for you, those shameful things, all of them, every single one of them, even the ones you carry today with the guilt in your conscience, those things were placed on him, on that clothing, that clothing was left, and Jesus said, I'm not leaving you in the tomb, I'm taking you with me. And when he resurrected, we resurrected in a new garment, a garment that is free from shame, a garment that is free from guilt, a garment that is free from lifelessness, a garment that is free from that which was anti-God. And then he says, what I want you to do is what you're supposed to do when the kingdom you belong to is invading the earth. Now wear that garment wherever you go. Okay, yeah, but, yeah, okay, that's great. But let's not make it ethereal. Let's not make it, yeah, I rose with Jesus and that's so cool, man. What does that mean? Paul says, let me describe to you how that plays out this week when you're on campus. When you're heading in the early mornings into GE. When you're in aisle 13 of Wegmans. What, what is supposed to be happening to you at that moment? What is it, this, this garment that you're wearing? Because I want to make it clear to you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you died with him and you rose with him and there is no argument. You can't debate that. It's a done deal. So now, are you wearing the garment? What does that look like? So Paul, writing to his friends in Colossae, says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must, what? Clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He said, since God chose you, that word actually means since you are the, the evidence of the resurrection on this earth, since he chose you to be that evidence that through you, the rest of the world is going to say, whoo, Jesus rose. Because he loves you. And because he loves you so deeply, you died with him and he brought you out. He said, I chose you to be holy people just simply means that you are wearing your resurrection clothing. In about two weeks, 
Pam and I will be going to Kansas City, Missouri because our son's getting married. And so we're, 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 we're pumped about that and we've known that for, for months. And, and so several months ago, we began the hunt for the mother of the groom dress. It took me five minutes in Macy's to get a tie. <laughs> We've taken months. We have gone from Erie to Pittsburgh and back. Because she is the mother of the groom, the bride gets to dictate the style and the color that the mother of the groom shall wear. Mumble, 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 mumble. So we've been looking at dress after dress after dress after dress, right color, wrong style, wrong, wrong color, then, then the wrong, right style, wrong color, and it's just, and then we find one and it's like $5 million and I'm not paying that. <laughs> we went to a place in Sharon, PA. It's a four-story building. It's got a basement and three floors. You know what's on that basement floor? Dresses. You know what's on the first floor? Dresses. You know what's on the second floor? Dresses. You know what's on the third floor? Dresses. Formal dresses, wedding dresses, 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 all dresses. And all these women singing to each other, oh, it looks so pretty. When God designed eternity, he had in mind what it takes to be in that store for a man. <laughs> there is so much estrogen in that store that you got to go out and play a rugby match and gut a deer before you feel like a man again. <laughs> so we're there for hours. And finally, she says, I found two dresses. I don't know which one to get. And she sounds just like that. <laughs> so she says, I'm going to get them both. I'll choose at home. I said, let's go home. Let's go home. I'll sacrifice. So we head home with these two dresses. Within 24 hours, she chooses a dress. Neither one of those two. One that she had seen when we first started months before, but never tried on here in Erie. So I had to take back the two dresses, which was fine because it's right across the street from Quaker Steak and Lube, and that's a guy thing. So here's the deal. When we show up in Kansas City, and on that Friday, the day of the wedding, a dress is not just going to magically come out of a closet and drape itself on Pam and say, behold, this is the chosen thing and it's just going to dress her. It's not going to happen. She had to select the right dress, the proper dress, and wear it correctly. So when you put your faith in Jesus, and you died, and you rose again, and he said, put on this resurrected garment, put on this, this new clothing, it's just not magically going to appear from the sky and just drape you and say, there, life is the way you wanted it. You have to select what it looks like that which is proper, that which is perfect, and you have to wear it correctly. So Paul the Apostle says, I want to tell you what that looks like. 
Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus wore kindness. We have to wear that because that's the evidence of the resurrection. He said, now I want you to wear humility. And we have a tough time really understanding humility. And, and you say, oh, humility is the opposite of pride. Well, kind of, but not really. In fact, humility is, is if you, it's like an Oreo cookie, the cream center. And you've got these two things on the end, which, it, which is not what it is. On one side is pride, and pride is, is, is self-focused fulfillment. It is, it is everything happening for me. It is my own self-preservation. I do it for me. If it's not about me, I don't want to be there. That's pride. The other side, and the other side of, of humility is self-deprecation. That is when we make ourselves weak so that we cannot fulfill our responsibilities. Oh, God, I know what you said I should do, but I just, I just can't do that. I feel so weak. I can't go there. I can't do that thing. Humility is knowing one's location in God's world. So let me show you a picture of humility. Several days back, Pope Francis washed the feet of some young people in a juvenile detention center. He broke tradition because usually he would do it for bishops. Some of those people were Muslim. Others were Orthodox Christians. He explained to them, he said, the reason I'm doing this is because Jesus did this on the night he was betrayed and in it he proved his love. He evidenced his servant's heart that if he would do this, then he would die. Pope Francis said, this is a symbol, it is a sign. Washing your feet means I am at your service. You see, he's wearing his resurrection clothing and he learned that from Jesus. John, a follower of Jesus, described that moment when he said this, in John 13, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus already knows that Satan has infiltrated the group. But he does not panic because humility does not fear threats. Threats are counteracted by anointing. Because the scripture we just read said, Jesus knowing that everything had been put in his hands, other translations say knowing that the, all authority had been placed in his hands, then proceeds to serve and then to die. Anointing, and we use that term loosely in the Christian circles, we don't even know what that means at times. Anointing is understanding in the place that God has put you whether that's raising your, your two-year-old or if that's flipping burgers at McDonald's, understanding where God has placed you, that in that place, you have divine ability to do what he wants you to do in that place. He has given you that ability. God does not send you where his anointing has not preceded you. 
He gives you divine ability and divine authority to function in that place. So when they said to Jesus, we're going to take your life, he said, oh, <laughs> no, you're not, because you don't have authority. I have authority to give my life and take it back up again. And I will do with it whatever my father tells me to do because I have authority and you can't stop it. He did not feel ripped off. He didn't stand there and go, oh, first I lost heaven and now I lost earth. Poop. <laughs> he understood. When he showed up, he said, I know, I know exactly what I'm here for. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. In that process, he understood. And, and Paul the Apostle says that he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto. That, that all the rights of being a God, all the rights of, of, of the lifestyle of the divine, he let go of that to become a servant and take on flesh. Because he knew he couldn't lose because he understood the principle that in the anointing of God, when you're in the place that you need to be where God has placed you and you have this authority and you have this ability and you function where God tells you to function and you do what he tells you to do with the ability and the authority, that he who wants to be great must be the servant of all. That you are free to give, free to serve. Therefore, when Jesus did this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, everything over the earth, on the earth, and under the earth will bow down, worship him, and declare that he is Lord. Humility says, I can sacrifice for you because you can't hurt me and I can't lose. So I just need to say, God, what does you want me to do? And I will do that. And so sometimes in that authority and in that ability, God will say, go over to this person, lay hands on them, and I will heal them. And you do that, and he does. And in humility, you went and said, I will serve you. Here, God, whatever you want. And, and what happens is up to you. Sometimes he'll say, I want you to go over and not pray for their healing. I want you to go there, and I want you to cleanse their wounds. Sometimes he'll say, I know, that, I know that, that there's an attack against you, and I'm going to hide you in this anointing. I'm going to hide you from that. And at times, Jesus just walked through the crowds when they wanted to stone him. He just, they just couldn't see him. And sometimes he'll say, I'm going to let the attack touch you, and it's going to cause you pain. But I've given you the ability to cope because I have a reason for that. Humility does not react to tomb threats. Humility charges ahead in resurrection realities. That this is God, this is his place, and whatever you want, God, I'll do that. I humble myself because you've given me the ability and the authority to function. You see, humility acts out of mission. The scripture says that Jesus knew that he came from God. There was something he was supposed to do. Humility knows its specific task and its mission. And I think we spend way too much time in the tomb, in our tomb clothes, thinking that we're going to enjoy this world because it's our playground. 
Jesus didn't hang around and decorate the tomb. He didn't buy furniture for the tomb. He didn't get cable. He didn't intend to stay in the tomb. And I think sometimes within our own culture, it is very tombish, and we just decide, hey, the world is ours. We're going to grab hold of this. And that's part of the problem that I see with the prosperity gospel, i got to tell you, is that it is decorating the tomb. The disciples understood what the future was. Someone once said, it was those who believed in the bodily resurrection who were burned at the stake and thrown to the lions. Resurrection was never a way of settling down and becoming respectable. In fact, the scripture says that people looked at the disciples and said, these guys are turning the world inside out, right side up. They're just, they're, they're, they're just making things different than they've ever been before. So let me ask you a question. What's your Jesus mission? What are you supposed to be doing right now? Because I, I want to say, if you don't know your mission and you're not acting on your mission, then you're not walking in humility. Again, Paul's words to the Philippians, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was doing the human thing, but he then humbled himself so that he could obey what his mission was, which was the cross. Our cross will always create tension. And believe me, we all have a cross because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, and how many of you are following Jesus? There you go. Take up your cross and follow me. you got a cross, and it's going to cause you to come to a place where you say, inside, I don't want to do that. But humility says, yet I will obey. Jay Tucker was with his family in the Congo in the, late, in the, in the early 60s. And they were there because God said, I need you there. So he took his entire family into the Congo. There was this huge rebellion and uprising, and people were being killed, and, and they just escaped out, and they, they went to a neighboring country, and there they were with some friends, and, and, and Jay was standing there by this map of Africa, and he pointed to the Congo, and he said, now when we go back, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And a friend said, Jay, if you go back, you'll never come out. And Jay said these words. God told me to go in. He never told me to come back out. And within months, Jay was martyred. Humility says, I know my mission, and I embrace it, no matter what the cost is. If we keep playing in the tomb, keep wearing those, those tomb clothes, enjoying the tombness around us, we will never discover the resurrection mission that God has designed for each of us. And part of that which we discover that is just so amazing is this, that humility moves into freedom. He said that Jesus knew that he was going back to the Father. He had such confidence in that. Yes, it's true. He wore the grossest sins on his body. So repulsed was God that God turned his back. And Satan unleashed death upon Jesus. Yet Jesus said, I have the authority to put my life down and raise it right back up again. And after his death, he rose up into a resurrection freedom and said, not only for me, but for you. Look, if you're used to religion, if you're used to going someplace where you just go through the routine, then, then stop. Stop, 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 stop. You're missing it. You have been given resurrection ability. And if you're not using it, you're still in the tomb with your tomb clothes on. 
It's time for you to resurrect. Just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here's the evidence of the resurrection that Jesus wants people to see when it comes to Jack Reisner. That when I look at God and what he expects of me, I can be honest and tell you that I feel so far beyond or be behind what I'm supposed to be doing and who I'm supposed to be. I just, I just feel guilty at times that I'm not there yet. There are times that I still feel my brokenness. There are times that I say, how, how can I still be dealing with this reoccurring mess that I have in my life? And it brings me to the place that I have to come back to Jesus in humble confession and say to him, oh, be merciful to me, a sinner. So while I stand boldly before this world, they will see the evidence of the resurrection when I can stand there and declare in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. And the people that know me best should see that most. They should be able to look at me and say, if, if Jesus can be powerful through Reisner, then man, he can be powerful through me. If God can love Reisner with all the trash that he's carried, then I think God can love me through my trash. I think they might say, if God can make Reisner free, even though he's not perfect, then God can make me free. I think that's what James had in mind, a follower of Jesus who wrote these words, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's next? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will he do? He will lift you up. See, God's throwing a resurrection, and you're invited. He's throwing a lifting up. The question is, will you be showing up it's time for you to find your resurrection freedom.
Humility says, God, I, I, I don't like my life. I want it to change. Humility says, would you forgive me? And I'm, I'm going to start believing that, that I, I can die with you and I can rise again. Humility says, I'm going to find my freedom in you and quit trying to do this on my own. So I'm going to invite you as we conclude this gathering to decide that you're going to make a change. You're going to wad up the old life and let it stay in the tomb and you're going to put on your resurrection clothing and find the freedom that Jesus has for you. You may, may have never even made a choice to put your faith in Jesus and now you know you, you should and you may have but you still have been wearing tomb clothing. And for the first time today you recognize that, that as the scripture said it is for freedom that you've been set free. It's time for you to be free. That's right, we've gathered here today. We didn't gather here today to just say, oh, Jesus, hurry up and get here because life is really cruddy. We got here today to say, oh, come, your kingdom be done, your will on earth that is in heaven and use us because we got resurrection power. So in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to stand. And if you'd like to make a step of faith, whether you're just deciding to put your faith in Jesus, you've done it before, but you've, you've got to change some things. You've got to, you've got to live out the life that Jesus has planned for you because I want to pray for you in, in just one corporate gathering right here. In a moment, we're going to stand and, and if you're not going to respond, just stay where you are. Don't go out the back and, and disrupt people who are trying to flow this direction. But this is your time to, to make a movement toward God. We began this service being reminded of the word go. It's time for you to get moving. Get out of your tomb and live this incredible resurrection life. And if that's you, I want to pray over you. So would you stand? And if that's you, just, just come down here right now. Just join me. Say, okay, that's me. I need, I, need to, I need to change some things in my life. There you go. This is great. This is not some ritual. This, this is you responding to Jesus. wait for you. See, the great thing about his resurrection is that it takes those things that have been ugly and scarred and disruptive and he's turning you into a beautiful person. And that's pretty cool. He's going, some of you right now, he's going deep down inside of you and he's pulling up all the stuff not to hurt you but to say, hey, give it to me because I'm taking it out now. I'm cleaning you up on the inside. Some of you have gotten off track and this morning he's saying, put back on track. Here we go. We're moving. And you've been guilty about it saying, oh, how could God even take me back? Take you back? He said, the one who's lost is found. Let's party. That's the God you serve. Today is your day of freedom. Now is your moment of release.
And when the voice of the enemy comes to you this week and says, oh, you're the same, you say, no, 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 no. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. And you say, I'm new, I'm new, I'm new, I'm new. All week long, that's your mantra, I'm new. Not the same anymore. Then as you read those scriptures, he's going to pour that into you. As you listen to that worship music, it's going to reinforce. When you talk to some friends who are followers of Jesus, they'll tell you again, it's true. And ahead, you're going to move. So now, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fill our friends full of reality, of truth. You're the author of truth. You said you'd teach us the things we need to know. Teach them now. Open up revelation of, of how you see them and the beauty that you've created in them. We declare as their community of faith, we declare according to your word, your forgiveness is complete and their freedom is now complete in them. Now as they walk in that freedom, give them joy. Let it just overflow in them. Let them wake up in the middle of the night just joyful that all that junk is gone and all the guilt is cleansed and you set them free. So we seal them now for the destiny you have for them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. That's great. If you want to know more about following Jesus, if this is new to you, stop by our information desk. They have a packet they're going to give you to tell you more about that. If you need to talk to us, we've got elders and we've got mentors and we've got pastors. And see all those people back there? They love you. They, they know about Jesus. They'll help you. You came with somebody today that's been part of a, a community of faith, say, tell me more. And they'll tell you more. And if they don't know more, they'll go study tonight and tell you more tomorrow. But they'll get it there because we're here to grow each other up. So now... God's blessing be upon you. Enjoy another Easter week. God bless you. Have a great week. God bless you all.